Welcome to Strange Talk. Hey, strangers. Welcome to another episode of Strange Talk Podcast. Strange Talk Podcast is a weekly podcast that's dedicated to all things strange. So if you're new, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? My name's Ernie A, and I feature mysterious things. Well, not mysterious, but I kind of have... You, you kind of get what, the gist of what I'm going for. Now, if you follow me on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast, then you'll know that today's episode is all about female serial killers. Yay, equality! So, <sighs> some of these uh, cases are going to all sound kind of the same in a sense, but um, bear with me. Um, now, I wanted to do an episode that's dedicated to all serial ki- female serial killers because I find them interesting because you don't really hear a lot about them. It's only now that we're starting to get some that are truly fucked up in the way they kill, like, say, for instance, uh, Jody Ares, although she's not considered a serial killer because she only killed one person. But the way she committed her crime and the violent way that she did it is just really fucked up. And it could be almost the makings of a serial killer for the fact that she killed the man in such a way that she did. But I digress. So having said that, let's dive headfirst into the female serial killers. Now I have a few, like, so I'm already fucking going off topic again. Now on my Instagram, I had said that I was going to be talking about Janine Jones and Velma Barfield. What I found wasn't really a lot. Um, of information, but I tried to uh, put it, uh, try to spin it in a way that will be interesting. But um, hopefully, you guys enjoy what I have because I'm going to be talking about at least four. So I added two more to the list because otherwise, the episode would have been a hell of a lot shorter. And I feel like that really cheats you guys out of some good stuff. Now, I chose these female serial killers because. I don't really think they're discussed too much. I don't. I don't think I've ever really heard of. I'm pretty sure there's podcasts out there because there's a shit ton of true crime podcasts. So I'm pretty sure there has been other podcasts, true crime podcasts that have discussed these various um, female serial killers. But I chose them because I feel like they're very obscured and not really well too well known. So let's let's get into it. Um, here's the first one, Velma Barfield was a sweet, God-fearing grandmother. Unfortunately, everyone in her life seemed to die mysteriously. Her son, Ronnie Burke, said, You know, it's the saddest thing, but it seems like everybody my mother ever gets close to dies. How could, that, how could the good Lord allow this to happen to such a faithful Christian like my mother, Velma Barfield? It was a question a lot of people wanted to ask, even after the truth had come out and Velma Barfield was waiting to become the first woman to be executed in America in 22 years, many couldn't understand how she had gotten there. She was a grandmother, a churchgoer, and was so devoutly religious that even the Reverend Billy Graham sang her praises. She had the world so charmed that they were protesting for her freedom. On the outside, she seemed like a perfect little angel. Maybe that's how she got away with murdering six fucking people. Velma's first husband and victim. The first person to die for getting too close to Velma Barfield was Thomas Bjork, her first husband. The pair had married young when Velma was just 17, and for the first few years, they seemed like a match made in heaven. They'd elope in a hurry because Velma was desperate to get away from her home. 
She'd been tormented for years by a father that, looking from the outside in, seemed to be nothing more than a doting, loving man. When the shades went down, however, Velma's father would break into the room of the daughter he called Daddy's little girl. For Velma, marrying Thomas was a way out of a terrible situation, and for a while, it wasn't that bad. They had two children together and got along fairly well until Velma had a hysterectomy and became addicted to painkillers. Soon Thomas was drinking heavily, and the two found themselves at each other's throat, constantly fighting. Constantly fighting. I can't stress that enough, they were always fucking fighting. After a bad fight, Velma snuck out with the kids and left Bjork alone in the home. While she was out, the house mysteriously burst into flames and Bjork was incinerated before sunrise. He was so badly burnt that when the coroners came to gather his body, his skin was seared into the couch that he was sleeping on. Her children were devastated, and as far as anyone could tell, Velma was too. But Thomas's death showed Velma a simple way to fix all her problems, and her life soon filled with tragedy after tragedy. As unfortunate as it was to lose her husband, Velma moved on and found love again. But as it seemed to everyone around her, bad luck just kept catching up with her. Her second husband was Jennings Barfield, a fellow widower who had kids of his own. He too would meet a mysterious end. After the couple argued over her abuse of prescriptions and a divorce was thrown around, Jennings became mysteriously ill. Less than a year after they'd gotten married, he contacted an illness he contracted an illness that caused a heart attack and died. He fell immediately to the floor and died right in front of his children. Her parents were next. After a short relationship with another boyfriend, ended in yet another of Velma's homes mysteriously burning to the ground, Velma moved back in with her parents. In short time, though, both died. Her father contracted lung cancer, the one death she couldn't have caused, and then shortly after, her mother became mysteriously ill. She couldn't have caused, but you don't know. Maybe while they were sleeping, Velma would sneak into her father's room and smoke a cigarette and just keep blowing the smoke in his face. A slow and <laughs> painful death of cancer. It was a strange coincidence. Within a few years, Velma had lost both a husband and a mother to the exact same illness. Their symptoms were both their symptoms both included vomiting and an internal burning-like feeling. It was awfully convenient, but it would take years for anyone to make the connection. After Velma's mother died, people dropped like flies around her. She was almost like as if she had con- it was almost like she was cursed. She took to caretake she took a caretaking job working for Montgomery and Dolly Edwards and within a year both of them got sick and died. Then she started working for Record Lee and within a few months her husband John Henry came down with the same mysterious illness that other people contracted while in her care. Her family still just thought she was a horribly unlucky woman. At least her new boyfriend, Stuart Taylor, could help her through these hard times. They thought. But even he wouldn't make it through knowing Velma unharmed. Stuart made his fatal mistake on February 3rd of 1978. He found out that Velma had been forging checks in his name and the two had gotten into a huge argument. When they were getting ready for a church, when they were getting ready for church and she handed him a beer, Stuart just thought she was just calling a truce. However, in the middle of the service, he started feeling sick. 
He tried to be tough for as long as he could, but it felt like his whole body was burning up from the inside. After a while, Stuart excused himself so he could lie down in his truck, and pretty soon, his sweet Velma was by his side stroking his hair, trying to make him feel better. He didn't have to act tough, she told him, and she would drive him home. Stuart spent the night vomiting and suffering, and in the morning begged Velma to take him to the hospital. The doctor there didn't find anything wrong and told him it just might be gastritis. He was told to go home, take some medicine, and in the morning, he'll feel right as rain. By the time the morning came, Stuart couldn't feel anything at all. Almost every person in Velma Barfield's family came out to support her at Stuart's funeral, as it was unbelievable what had happened to this poor woman. Ever since she lost Thomas Bjork, this poor woman had suffered nothing but heartache, they thought. Well, almost everyone. While Velma was crying through the service, a woman claiming to be her sister called the police and claimed Velma was a murderer, and she killed her own mother the same way she killed Stuart Taylor. The police didn't think too much of it until Stuart's autopsy came back. Just like the caller had said, there was arsenic from rat poisoning poison in his stomach. They started looking up every tragic death that had filled her life, and every time they found traces of the exact same brand of rat poison. Velma pretended to know nothing about it until her son, Ronnie Bjork, asked her about it. She couldn't lie to her son and broke down sobbing in front of him. It was an accident. I only meant to make him sick, she said. Velma Barfield confessed to four of the murders. Thomas Bjork's death, she insisted, really was a freak accident and Jenny's Barfield had just gotten sick. The police were unable to prove anything about Bjork, but they had reason to doubt her. She was definitely lying about Jennings as, like the others, he died with rat poisoning in his system as well. She soon found herself on death row. It was the first time since the death penalty had been reinstated, reinstated that any woman had been on her way to the execution chamber. Because of this, it became a media frenzy. The whole movement rose up to protect her life. Her psychiatrist tried to convince the judge that she had multiple personality disorder. While Velma tried to present herself as a reformed Christian, the judge didn't buy it. Her execution came on November 2nd, 1984. As she spoke to Reverend Billy Graham a little before, perhaps hoping to use his influence to save her life. Instead, however, Reverend Graham just told her, Velma, in a way, I envy you, because you're going to get to go to heaven before I do. <laughs> well, gee, thanks, Reverend. A crowd had formed outside. 300 of them were begging for her life at the prison walls, holding candles and singing hymns. But across from them, there were 80 more demonstrators who wanted to see her dead, chanting, Die, bitch, die! That's seriously what they said. She ate one final meal, which which was nothing more than a bag of cheese doodles and Coca-Cola. Then she followed the guards into the execution chamber. She wasn't worried. She told her family, When I go into that gas chamber, it's my gateway to heaven. Witnesses said that she didn't suffer. She just seemed to relax as a toxic poison flowed through her veins like all of the people she killed. For the first time in 22 years, an American woman had been put to death. Outside, the people standing vigil 
put out their candles and softly sang her favorite hymn, while the others cheered for her death. And thus ends the legacy, the infamous legacy of Velma Barfield. Now let's move on to the next female serial killer. So this next one I'm going to be talking about right now, she goes by the name of Janine Jones. They're known as angels of death, nurses who kill their helpless patients either intentionally or accidentally in the course of injecting them with harmful substances and then reviving them in a sick effort to appear heroic. One such killer was a New York male nurse named Richard Angelo. He was convicted in the late 1980s of killing eight patients and poisoning 26 others whom he revived. Another angel of death was Janine Jones of San Antonio, Texas. In 1984, she was tried and convicted of purposely killing two children, one with a blood thinner and one with a drug that paralyzes muscles. She is suspected of killing up to 60 children this way and was recently indicted for five murders because the state of Texas did not wish for her to be paroled. Janine Jones was born in Texas in July of 1950 and immediately was put up for adoption. A savage parental rejection which may have prominently warped her perception toward parenthood and infancy. <sighs> Although her adopted parents had also taken three other orphan children into their home, Janine said she was the family's black sheep and never felt accepted. Her best friend was her younger brother, Travis, who at 16 years old assembled a bomb that accidentally blew up in his face and killed him. Janine, holy fuck. Janine was reportedly devastated at Travis's death and made a huge hysteronic display of grief at his funeral. At age 19, she married a man described as her high school sweetheart. They had one child before the man enlisted into the Navy. While he was gone... She had several affairs and openly bragged about them. When he finally returned, they had another child. Just as her biological parents had done to her, Janine abandoned both children, leaving her adoptive mother to take care of the two children. Divorced and fearful that the exposure to dyes at her job as a hairdresser might give her cancer, Jones trained to become a nurse. In the four years she worked at Bexar County Medical Center, Hospital in San Antonio, Texas, 47 infants died under suspicious circumstances while in Jones' care. Jones quickly developed a reputation for extremely suspicious behavior, including grabbing a syringe and squirting herself and a recently deceased infant with the sign of the cross in front of several onlookers. The fact that infants in her care seemed to constantly require her resuscitation, one um, she was often observed singing to an infant's corpse as she prepared it for delivery to the morgue. One infant had seizures three days in a row, but only under Janine Jones's care. Seven suspicious infants' deaths occurring under her watch in the course of two weeks. Once joking, they're going to think I'm the death nurse. She said this while she was <clears throat> she was overheard saying this while she was speaking to a coworker of hers in the where they keep all the prescriptions and everything, the medicine. One of the, uh, I guess her coworker nurse had mentioned, you know, geez, there's a, you have some pretty bad luck, Janine. 
um, you had two deaths this week. And she goes, I know, they're probably going to think that I'm the death nurse. Insisting on carrying dead babies to the hospital morgue herself, in one case, she actually ripped the baby out of a grieving relative's arm and ran down the corridor with it. When other nurses began suggesting that Jones may be killing children, they were shot down by the head nurse, Pat Belko, who dismissed their complaints as jealousy. When one nurse repeatedly insisted that Jones was up to no good, the hospital attempted to resolve the matter by insisting that both Jones and the nurse resign, and they both did. Against the advice of several people who told her that there was something seriously wrong with Jones, Dr. Kathleen Holland dismissed their advice as the murmurings of a male-dominated medical patriarchy. Against their suggestions, she hired Jones in August of 1982. Over the next two months, seven infants placed under Jones' care had unexpected seizures. In September of 1982, 14-month-old Chelsea McLean's parents brought their infant daughter to Holland's clinic for a routine immunization. Jones gave her an injection that immediately induced a seizure in Chelsea. When Chelsea's mother asked Jones to stop, she ignored her and gave her a second injection. Why the fuck the mother just didn't slap fucking Janine Jones across the face or stop her is I will never know. (laughs) After jerking around, Chelsea went limp. Jones began sobbing and wrapped Chelsea in a blanket and carried her down to the clinic morgue. Chelsea died en route to the hospital. A week later, when visiting her daughter's grave, Chelsea's mother noticed that Jones was already there, kneeling before the tombstone and crying loudly. When she asked Jones what she was doing there, Jones reportedly stared blankly at her and left. Because that's not fucking weird. While talking with Jones about the mysterious string of seizures at the clinic, Dr. Holland became deeply suspicious when Jones offered out of nowhere that she had found the missing vial of a muscle relaxant called succincholine. Holland wasn't even aware that a vial had gone missing, but upon inspecting it, she realized that there were already two pinpricks in the vial's rubber top. And on September 28, 1982, Holland fired Janine Jones and called the police. A forensic lab determined that the vial was filled with saline rather than the medicine succicoline. In other words, I know I'm fucking saying that wrong. God damn it, it's bugging me. In other words, Janine Jones had already used all of the muscle relaxant and had filled the vial up with salt water to cover her tracks. In 1984, a grand jury in Cure County, Texas, indicted Jones for murdering Chelsea McLean and also charged her with injuring seven other children she injected with muscle relaxers. Forensic technicians had exhumed McLean's body and found traces of sexocholine, succincholine, oh my god, in her corpse. Jones was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 99 years in prison. In 1985, Jones was found guilty of injecting an infant named Rolando Santos with a blood thinner named heparin, heparin, nearly killing him. She was found guilty and sentenced to 60 years for this crime. In the wake of Jones' conviction and to avoid further bad publicity and lawsuits, the Texas hospital system destroyed every last documenting, every last document relating to Janine Jones. So we will never know for sure how many children she killed. Examiners, however, say the death toll may be as high as 60 or more children. 
Due to the Texas laws regarding prison sentencing and overcrowding, Jones was eligible for parole back in 2018. To counter the possibility of her of ever being free, the state of Texas recently indicted her for five more infant murders and has promised to indict her for more. From an examination of Jones' behavior, analysts have concluded she likely suffered from hysteronic personality disorder. She became uneasy if she wasn't the center of attention. Despite widely being deemed unattractive, Jones had a tendency to wear inappropriately seductive clothing and to brag to everyone in earshot whether or not they asked her or wanted to listen to it about her alleged sexual conquests. She tended to make dramatic public displays of grief and crying over the infants in turns, and it turns out she had murdered. It is also reasonable to suspect, suspect to suspect fuck I can't talk that the disorder that compelled her murderous behavior was Murchison syndrome by proxy which involves fabricating symptoms of physical illnesses in order to obtain attention and sympathy from others now if you've listened to my previous episodes then you will know and recall the episode that I dubbed Munchausen by Munchausen syndrome by proxy which followed the story of Mary Beth Tinning and Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. So if you haven't heard that episode and you're new to Strange Talk Podcast, then why don't you go back and listen to that episode? Because that's a pretty fucked up episode. This was evident not only in her very public displays of attempting to rescue the children whose conditions she had induced, but also in her rampant hypochondria, which involved over 30 hospital visits, where she complained over various illnesses, but left 30 times without any medical diagnosis. By both appearing to rescue endangered children and by complaining of imaginary illnesses, Jones received the care and attention that ordinary life had denied her. And thus ends the story of Janine Jones, one sadistic, fucked up little bitch. Moving on to the next female serial killer, police originally thought they were dealing with a sexually confused male serial killer. Turns out they were actually a little off. In Mexico, professional wrestling is a popular form of entertainment, though it takes a slightly different form what one might expect. Don't worry, just stick with me. It's going to lead somewhere, believe me. Above all, Mexican professional wrestling or lucha libre has a certain sense of pageantry. Wrestlers or luchadors often wear colorful masks as they perform daring acrobatic leaps off of the ropes to grapple with their opponents. It makes for an interesting, if not weird, spectacle. But for Juana Barraza, her antics in the ring obscured a far stranger and darker compulsion behind the scenes. By day, Juana worked as a popcorn vendor and sometimes a luchadora at a wrestling venue in Mexico City. Stocky and strong, Brarsa took to the ring as the Lady of Silence as she competed in the amateur circuit. But in the darkened streets of the city, she had another persona. Mata Viejas, little old lady killer. Beginning in 2003, Juana would gain entrance to the homes of elderly women by pretending to help carry in groceries or claiming to be sent by the government for medical help. Once inside, she would pick a weapon like a set of stockings or a telephone cord and strangle them. 
Juana seems to have been unusually methodical about choosing her victims. She managed to acquire a list of women who were on a government assistance program. Then she'd used the list to identify elderly women who lived alone and used fake credentials to pretend that she was a nurse sent by the government to check their vital signs. By the time she left, her victim's blood pressure was always zero over zero. Juana would then look through her victim's houses for something to take with her. Though the crimes were never motivated by financial gain, Juana would only take a small memento from her victims, like, say, a religious trinket. Police following the cases had their own theory on who the killer was and what was driving him. According to criminologists, the killer was most likely a man with a confused sexual identity who had been abused as a child by an elderly relative. The killings were a way of channeling his resentment toward innocent victims who stood in for the person who had abused him. Eyewitness descriptions of a possible suspect reinforced this idea. According to the witnesses, the suspect had the stocky build of a man but wore women's clothing. As a result, the city police began rounding up known transvestite prostitutes for questioning. The profiling caused outrage in the community and brought the police no closer to finding the killer. Over the next few years, Juana killed many more women, perhaps almost totaling 50 or more, before police finally caught a break in the case. In 2006, Juana strangled an 82-year-old woman with a stethoscope. As she was leaving the scene, a woman who was renting a room in the victim's home returned and found the body. She immediately called the police. With the help of the witness, the police were able to arrest Swana before she left the area. During questioning, Juana confessed to having strangled at least one woman, stating that she committed the crime out of a sense of anger at elderly women in general. Her hatred was rooted in feelings toward her mother, who was an alcoholic who gave her away at the age of 12 to an older man who would constantly sexually abuse her. According to Juana, she wasn't the only person behind the killings. After being confronted by the press, Juana asked, With all due respect to the authorities, there are several of us involved in extortion and killing people, so why don't the police go after the others too? But according to the police, Juana acted alone. They could match her fingerprints to prints left behind at the scene of multiple murders, while ruling out other possible suspects. With the evidence they collected, police were able to charge Juana with 16 different murders, but she is believed to have killed up to 49 people. Though Juana continued to claim that she had only been responsible for one of the killings, she was convicted and sentenced to 759 years in prison. Holy fuck. That's like a lot. <laughs> That's the story of Juana Barasa. I know I'm fucking up that name, and I'm Mexican, and that's really sad. Now, we move on to the last female serial killer that I want to discuss and you guys know about. She is actually known as Nanny Doss, and her nickname is called the, Gino the, Giggling, the Giggling Granny. <laughs> Nanny Doss seemed like a sweet lady. She smiled and laughed all the time. She married, had four children, and spent time with her grandchildren. But behind the happy facade was a trail of death and murder that lasted from the 1920s to 1954, 
It was then that Nanny Doss confessed to killing four of her five husbands, and authorities believe she may have killed many of her blood relatives as well. Doss's story begins with her birth to a family of farmers in 1905 in Blue Mountain, Alabama. Instead of going to school, all five of Jim and Louisa Hazel's children stayed at home to work on household chores and tend to the family farm. At age seven, Doss suffered a head injury while riding a train. The head injury would change her life forever. By the time she was a teenager, Doss dreamed of living an idyllic life with her future husband. Reading romance magazines, especially the Lonely Hearts columns, took up much of the young lady's spare time. Perhaps she used the romance magazines as an escape from her abusive father while her mother turned a blind eye. Then the marriages began. At the age of 16, Nanny Doss wed a man she had only known for four months, Charlie Braggs, and Doss had four children together from 1921 to 1927. The marriage fell apart at that point. The happy couple lived with Braggs' mother, but she had the same abusive type of behavior as Doss's father. Perhaps it was her mother-in-law that kick-started Doss's murdering spree. Two children died under mysterious circumstances that same year. One moment the kids were perfectly healthy, and then suddenly they died without an apparent cause. The couple divorced in 1928. Braggs took his older daughter, Malvinia, with him and left a newborn, Florine, with his ex-wife and mother. Just a year after her divorce, Doss married her second husband. He was an abusive alcoholic from Jacksonville, named Frank Harrelson. The two met through a Lonely Hearts column. Harrelson wrote her romantic letters, while Doss responded with racy letters and photos. So basically, the Lonely Hearts column is a modern... Well, I mean, Tinder is a modern version of Lonely Hearts Column. <laughs> Despite the abuse, the marriage lasted 16 years until 1945. During this period, Doss likely killed her own newborn granddaughter a few days after the birth by using a hairpin to stab her in the brain. Fuck. A few months after the granddaughter's death, her two-year-old grandson, Robert, died of asphyxiation while in Doss's care. These two kids belonged to Malvinia, Doss's older child with Braggs. Harrelson was next on the murderers list. Following a night of drunken revelry at the end of World War II, Doss mixed a secret ingredient into his hidden jar of moonshine, and he was dead less than a week later on September 15th of 1945. People assumed he died of food poisoning. Meanwhile, Doss collected enough life insurance money from Harrelson's death to buy a plot of land and a house near Jacksonville. Ariel Lanning of Lexington, North Carolina, died in 1952, several years after he responded to a Lonely Hearts classified ad placed by Doss. Playing the doting wife, Doss added poisoning to one of Lanning's mills, and he died shortly thereafter. He was a heavy drinker, so doctors attributed the heart attack to alcohol. Richard Morton of Emporier, Emporia, Kansas, was Doss's next true love. Although he spent a lot of time with other women while married to Doss, however, Doss wouldn't discover this just yet, because she was distracted with other matters. 
Doss's mother needed a caretaker after she fell and broke her hip in 1953 after her father had passed away. The woman died suddenly and without warning a few months after Doss agreed to take care of her. Shortly after her mother's death, one of Doss's sister died suddenly after having contact with, nan- with the nanny Doss. Doss was too consumed with her mother's health to find out about Morton's affairs, but after she took care of her mother and sister, she turned her full attention to her cheating husband. He died as well under mysterious circumstances. Notice a pattern? Nanny Doss's final victim was Samuel Doss of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said Tulsa. It's Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was neither a drunk nor abusive. He simply made the mistake of telling his wife that she could only read magazines or watch television shows that were for educational purposes. She laced a prune cake with poison. Samuel Doss spent a month recovering in the hospital. A few days after he got home, poison-laced coffee finished him off. This is where Nanny Doss made a mistake. The doctor who treated her fifth and final husband had suspected foul play during his month-long hospitalization, but he had no proof. So the doctor convinced Doss, who was to receive two life insurance benefits after the fifth husband's death, to let him perform an autopsy. The physician said it was a good idea because an autopsy would save lives. The doctor found huge amounts of arsenic in Samuel Doss's body and alerted police. Nanny Doss was arrested in 1954. She soon confessed to killing four of her five ex-husbands, but not her family members. Authorities exhumed some of Doss's previous victims and found extraordinary amounts of arsenic or rat poison in their bodies. It turns out that a common household ingredient at the time was a potent way to kill people and without anyone suspecting a thing. The Grinny Granny's calling card was to poison her loved ones with drinks or food spiked with huge amounts of arsenic. In all, authorities suspect she killed as many as 12 people, most of whom were blood-related. Doss blamed her murderous escapades on her brain injury. Meanwhile, journalists gave her the nickname The Giggling Granny because every time she would tell the story of how she killed her late husbands, she would laugh. Doss even had a surprising motive for killing her male companions. She wasn't after insurance money. In her words, Doss's romance magazines had a profound effect on her psyche. And she said, I was searching for the perfect mate, the real romance and laugh. When one husband became too much, Doss simply killed him off and moved to the next love, or victim, that is. Since most of her husbands had other underlying health issues such as alcoholism or heart conditions, doctors and authorities never suspected a damn thing. Nanny Doss died in prison in 1964 while serving a life sentence for the murder of her last husband. And thus ends the story of the giggling granny Nanny Doss. So that's going to do it for me with all the female serial killers. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm pretty sure there are more fucked up ones and I'm going to scour the internet some more to find. I want to find like ones that are like super fucked up. But I mean, I guess most of the women killings, serial killers usually all use poison. They don't ever really use like, I, I know there's like Lizzie Borden, but she technically only killed two people. 
It was her mother and father. And then there's um. I know there's this one. What was your name? I know the the podcast um last podcast on the left, which I fucking love. They're such a good podcast. Um, they talked about her. I don't remember what her name was. I want to say it was Terry something. It's not Terry Owens. <laughs> I don't even I think it's like a man, but um, she would use a, a pickaxe, and every time she she said like she never experienced an orgasm as good as she did when she killed a man with her pickaxe. So, go look that episode up on last podcast on the left. It's a good episode. But unfortunately, that's all the time I have. That's gonna do it for me. And I hope you guys enjoyed what I had for you. And I know that Angel of Death one is probably one that maybe you guys are going to be like, holy fuck, because she's killed all those children. And that's a very scary thing if you think about it, especially if you're having a kid. Because when you're in the hospital, you're in there for a couple of days, you know, while they're checking on your baby to make sure that, you know, your baby's doing okay and everything. And then it might be even worse if your baby's like in the NICU. I know that's probably really hard. I, I, I know there's a listener out there. She Her baby was through that. So I can't imagine how hard that is. But um, So I'm thankful that my daughter was healthy. But what's scary to think about that is that your, your child is in the hands of those people. And for that lady, Janine Jones, to just do what she did, it's really, really fucked up. And what's even worse is that the hospital kind of knew about it, but... To save their own ass, they decided to get rid of all the documents. You know, <laughs> make it seem like nothing ever happened. So that's fucking scary because there's fucking shitty people out there, man. You just gotta watch the bags. So that's gonna do it for me on today's episode of the Female Serial Killers. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, feel free to follow me at Strange Talk Podcast on Instagram. Um, and another This Week in Crime is going to be coming up this Wednesday. And as you know, This Week in Crime is where I bring you news articles from around the world or right here from good old america uh, so be prepared for that if you find any interesting news articles feel free to send them to me via instagram at strange talk podcast or via email at strange talk podcast at outlook.com and i'll feature them on that episode and uh another, this week in crime usually happens every wednesday so be prepared for that get your ear holes ready as i penetrate you with some news articles so again, thank you. And don't forget to, you know, check out the sponsors that sponsor Strange Talk Podcast because helping them helps me out, as you know. It helps me out a ton. And if you have people who are interested in true crime, people who just enjoy listening to a dude talk to himself because he's so fucking lonely, then, you know, why not send them my way, introduce them to Strange Talk Podcast, help spread the word, and tell them if they listen to Strange Talk, if they listen to podcasts on iTunes, or Google Podcast, then tell him, hey, you know what, if you enjoy it, why not, you know, rate him, give him five stars, one star, doesn't matter, as long as you rate him, because that helps me out even more. So again, thank you guys for tuning in to Strange Talk Podcast, episode 26, Female Serial Killers. And as always, stay strange.